Hey, good morning, Life Church, or good afternoon, or wherever you're watching. I'm so glad you're with us. And um, in the midst of this season of turmoil and destruction and de depression for many and anxiety, the, the pandemic and all that's gone along with that, um, God has met us in the midst of that. And I believe God is on the move. And as we study the book of Nehemiah, it's all about how God takes devastation and gives an opportunity to renew and rebuild his people. And whenever there's devastation, there's a the fork in the road where God opens a window of opportunity. And devastation can lead to total destruction. And it happens. But that's not God's desire. God wants devastation to lead to renewal and a fresh outpouring of his spirit and his movement. And that's what the book of Nehemiah is all about. It's all about God renewing and rebuilding his people. And don't we need that today? Don't, don't you need that, want that renewal and rebuilding of God? Where do you want renewal in your life? God wants to bring that. And we're going to look at that today. Uh, and we're going to be looking at that over the course of the series. We're going to look at where renewal starts today. And I want you to be thinking about that. And I'm praying for our time together that God would meet us and meet you in this moment where he is giving you a word from him, not just from a broadcast, but where he's, you, you're hearing from God. And um, he wants that for you. And so I pray your ears and your heart would be open as mine is. I'm trying to be open. I know God has something for me. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever run out of gas going somewhere? Have you ever been on your way somewhere important and you've run out of gas? You're like... Come on, raise your hand. Raise your, thank you out there. I see that. Uh, Christine, is that you out there? Come on, come on. Have you run out of gas? Mark? <laughs> Poor Mark. Okay, Craig, I'm going to call on you right now. Okay. Have you ever run out of gas going somewhere important? In the early days of Life Church, um, things were, were growing and moving forward, and we were going to camp. Marcy and I also directed. Uh, Teen Classic at Bear Lake Bible Camp for many, many years. And we were, I was preaching and then I was driving to camp. Marcy was already there. And there's a group of kids who were coming with me from church. And so finished Sunday and uh, excited to go to camp. And, and uh, we all jump in the van and we start heading down the road and we're talking and everything else. And about an hour in, somewhere around Jackson, I, 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 uh, I feel the, the van's doing this. <laughs> and it sounded just like that. That was a true sound effect. And suddenly, uh, it's dying on me, and I pull over to the side of the road, and I can't believe it. I ran out of gas. I couldn't remember the last time that happened. But I want you to see something really important here. I was on my way to do something really important. I was going to be investing in the lives of teens, and God was, was, did some powerful things that week. But I was on my way to go be investing in the lives of, of teens and trying to make a difference, and so were these teenagers. And I didn't have enough gas to get there. Have you ever tried to follow God with something important, something God put on your heart? God gave you something to do, and you're like, I don't have the juice to get there. Yeah, I'd love to see this thing happen. I'd love to see renewal or a building, a fresh building into someone's life or into this organization or to this thing that I've got a burden for. <clears throat> but I don't have the juice to get there. I'm not sure if I have what it takes to get there. 
I, maybe you'd love to be able to share the love of Jesus with your neighbor next door or disciple someone and help them grow as a new believer. Maybe you'd love to make a difference in the lives of young people or teens or comfort those who are grieving or feed those who are hungry. Maybe you'd love to experience renewal and rebuilding in your life and in our church, but you feel like you just don't have what it takes. The good news is you don't. And maybe that feels like bad news. But Nehemiah's got something to teach us here about how you and I can experience the renewal and rebuilding of God and be a part of that and join him in that and where that starts. And I'm going to give you the, the answer right now. God's renewal begins with prayer. Prayer is the fuel of the second act. And everything... Prayer is the gasoline that helps the engine go forward. And we're going to see that today in the life of Nehemiah. Now, this is what I love about Nehemiah, and you should too. Nehemiah is an ordinary guy who God uses to do extraordinary things and make a difference in his world. And this is really important. He is not a pastor. He's not a priest. He's not a religious professional. He is, has no seminary training. Um, uh, he... He works in government. So you might go, he's, he's, he can't suck you serve God. He works in the government. He, you can. Lots of people have throughout history. It's a beautiful thing. And I mention that because a lot of times we disqualify ourselves because we think we're not spiritual enough, religious enough. We don't have the right resume. And the, the Bible is really about God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And God gives Nehemiah and the uh, people of Israel, a second act. God brought renewal to them. He brought renewal to Nehemiah's life. We're going to see that throughout the book. He brings renewal to the city of Jerusalem. He brings renewal to the people of Israel, and he can do the same for us. He wants to do the same for us. We've been in a time of devastation, and the question is, are we going to go toward destruction? Are we going to open and, and, and move through the window God has opened for us to move on to purification and renewal and multiplication, making God's name great out in the world where he wants us to. God gave us this book specifically to show us how he renews his people and gives them a second chance. Now, let me set a little context here. Uh, Alex went over this last week, so I'm just going to really quickly go over this, but quick timeline, all right? So Moses, as you know, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt, and Moses leads the people out of Egypt to the promised land. This is about 1400 BC. Seems like a long, long time ago, right? And they occupied the promised land, this land God promised to them where they would flourish and be a light for him. And then Saul comes as a king, and then David, and David led the nation to kind of its peak where they were honoring God and serving God and worshiping God and, and, the, and Israel was flourishing. And then Solomon comes in and, and he, even though he builds the temple from Solomon on, there's a long, slow decline. There's some ups and downs, but finally in 587 BC, God told them if they weren't going to follow him, he would, um, he would discipline them. That if, if they chose to follow other gods or other nations, he would give them over to that. And so they get uh, going to exile, the Babylonian exile, and that's bad news. But then the Persians uh, defeat the Babylonians, and the Persians come into power. And that's good news because God's put on the heart of this king of Persia a burden for Israel and for um, uh, letting Israel begin again. And so a significant number of Israelites go back to Israel 100 plus years before Nehemiah. And they return to the Holy Land. They rebuild the temple. It's not what it was. And, and then they just kind of um, languish. And so Nehemiah lives in Persia, the, uh, the capital 
um, in the capital of Susa, which is the southern, oh boy, Siri wanted to say it was Susa, and I, I agree, Siri, you're right. Um, he's about a thousand miles away from Israel. And this is kind of interesting to me because oftentimes God will give someone a burden who's way outside of, of, of the, the specific place where, that he's going to transform. And he's the cupbearer to the king, right? And Alex mentioned this last week. And a cupbearer was, um, again, a regular person, but that person also was a trusted advisor of the king. And that, per, that the cupbearer would tasted the wine and the food of the king, not because, to see how if it was great, but to see if it was poisoned. So you never had to ask a cupbearer when they got home from work, did you have a good day? Because <laughs> every day a cupbearer goes home, it's like, woohoo, good day. I didn't die of poison today. And by the way, the king's still alive. So this is, Nehemiah is on a very successful career path. He works for the king. He's probably very comfortable. And uh, that all, um, and yet, one day God disrupts that with some news. Let's read what it says in Nehemiah 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in, you might want to underline that, great trouble. Great trouble. And disgrace. Do you know someone in great trouble today? Are you in great trouble today? They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is burdened, and this is the beginning of how God um, moves this uh, man to prayer and to, and, and to action, is Nehemiah wants to make a def difference, but it begins with him experiencing a, in, in a, with a broken heart the burden of God. God's heart is broken, and Nehemiah's heart gets broken with the thing that breaks God's heart. And as I said, God's renewal now begins with prayer. Prayer is going to fuel this second act. And I just want to tell you a couple things about prayer here. Because Nehemiah knows and understands, if he's going to have a real impact for God, he has to go to God. He has to talk to God. He has to ask God to move. And, and, and Nehemiah is going to do this over and over again. He prays no less than nine times. I think I count 12 when I go through manually. Nine times in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going to God in prayer. And he's a humble leader and his life's completely fueled by prayer. And look at this. As you read this book, I want you to see all the ways that prayer impacts Nehemiah's uh, life and vision. So first, prayer clarifies Nehemiah's vision of what God wants him to do. As he spends time in prayer, he gets clear on what God wants him to do. Prayer empowers Nehemiah to fulfill God's vision. Prayer gives him power. Prayer leads Nehemiah to wait on God's timing. So as he's praying, he senses that when the right time to move is and when it isn't. Prayer quiets Nehemiah's fears. And don't we all have fears as he trusts God? 
Prayer activates Nehemiah's faith. You want more faith? It begins with praying and asking God to move in your life. And Lord, I want to believe in you more. And lastly, prayer fuels Nehemiah's renewal and the renewal of Jerusalem. All those things I just listed happen because Nehemiah prayed. What could God do? What does God want to do in your life right now if you were to pray? When I ask people about the last two years, they go, I say, how much have you talked to people about the polarization in our country, the racial discord, um, the, the, the COVID postures, masks, vaccines? How much have you talked to people about that? How much have you written on social media about that? How much have you been frustrated about how people have been disrespectful and the community has been torn down? And we all have, right? But here, let me ask you this question. How much have you prayed to God about that? How much time have you spent asking God to heal, to unite, to humble? And I'm, it's me too. If you're like me, you probably have talked this much and maybe prayed this much. And God wants to reverse that, where we talk less and pray more. And Nehemiah is a beautiful example of that. So let's look at how we can follow Nehemiah's example. We're going to learn some things from his prayer. And the first thing is the prompting of his prayer. So I just shared that. And I want to just share something important. Very often, the thing that will prompt Nehemiah's prayer and what prompts our prayer is pain. And we hate pain, but pain can be a great motivator. And Nehemiah's prayer is born of pain. He's weeping. He's in agony. He's got a holy discontent. Something is wrong with the world and it's breaking his heart. And maybe you feel like that too. And that's because God is bringing this to you and he wants you to move with it. And Nehemiah learns that Jerusalem's in great trouble, right? The enemies are surrounding the people of Israel in Jerusalem. The walls are in ruins. So imagine your house with no doors and no windows on. Your, your door wall, it's empty. And you're just going to go to bed at night, right? Because, you know, you're not going to care if anybody wanders in. You're like, no, I would never do that. That's how, what it's like for the walls to be down. At any point, they can be attacked. And the people are a mess, right? But the part that really concerns Nehemiah, and please hear me because this is where it totally aligns with what we're doing, is God's whole dream of his people being a light to the world, of, of being part of, God wants to redeem the world. And he created Israel. He blessed them to be a blessing to the world so that they would reflect what it means to follow God and worship God. And, and, um, and that witness now has been broken. It's been torn down. God blessed them to be a blessing and he entrusted his story and his word with them. And that story is this. God created us in his image and he loves us and he has a plan for us. And that whole idea is now at risk. Jerusalem was supposed to be a picture of how God created humanity to be and how God created humanity to live. And they would learn it in the temple and they would live it in the nation. And that's the same thing with the church, that we learn it in our community and we live it in our world. And that idea didn't exist anywhere else. And God's worried that that idea is going to get lost. And so Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Please listen to this. A second act, a new and better story, often begins with a sense of holy discontent. 
And holy discontent is frustration over some part of God's will that's not being done in the world. Holy discontent is the gap between what is and what could or should be, right? So do you have holy discontent in your own life? You're like, I, I, I'm here, but I know God wants to be here. I want to, I want to love God. I want to be full of faith. I want to be generous. I want to be serving using my gifts, but I'm here. I'm languishing. Or our community or our schools or our world. Where do you have holy discontent? When I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of cartoons, right? Because I'm about 100 years old. But there was one. It, it was um, this guy called Popeye the Sailor. <laughs> and uh, Popeye the Sailor single-handedly saved the spinach industry in the 30s. And I'll tell you why in a minute. So Popeye the Sailor, he, when, when things were going wrong, he'd be kind of passive, kind of chill. But this bully Brutus, if, bully, if Brutus was picking on his girlfriend olive oil or uh, someone was giving wimpy trouble or Sweet Pea was getting messed with, Popeye would be passive for a lot of while and then he'd say this, that's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. <laughs> and he would eat his spinach and then he'd go and do some damage, right? He'd go and make things right, right? And, and he'd say, basically, I got to do something, I'll do whatever it takes, and our world is filled with people who've had that Popeye uh, um, uh, kind of holy discontent where there's something wrong in the world and I'm going to make it right. William Wilberforce led a movement that ended slavery because he had all he could stand and he couldn't stand no more. God wanted created people to be like this and our world was living enslaved. Millard Fuller, you probably don't even know who this guy is. But one of the things he saw is he saw kids who didn't have a roof over their head. Parents were homeless, but the kids were homeless. And often poverty, the, the biggest victim is a kid, three, four, five-year-old kid, starting in, in very destitute circumstances. Millard Fuller started Habitat for Humanity so that every child could have a roof over their head. Changed the world. You know, Christine Kane um, started A21, a and it was a... a um, uh, an organization designed to stop human trafficking, especially sex trafficking of young girls. Tens of thousands of girls have been rescued that were in brothels or prostitution and they were abducted and, and used for this through this organization. Because she said, I had all I can stand, I can't stand no more. What about you? What's your holy frustration? Again, we want renewal in our lives and renewal in our world. And God puts that on your heart because he wants you to pray about it. And he wants that to trigger prayer in your life. Nehemiah's holy discontent triggers prayer. And look at what it says next. We only have the pattern of his prayer. So uh, Nehemiah, what I love about him is he's an activist, but he's also a contemplative. He's this crazy mix He's got a bias for action. He's going to do stuff, but he has learned enough to not get ahead of God. And so he always prays and then he goes and does what needs to get done. He does what God would have him do to do. And the beautiful thing about this book is this. It begins with a prayer in Persia and ends with a prayer in Jerusalem and the fulfillment of what God had wanted to have done. It's bookended in prayer. It's beautiful. And so I want to talk about prayer for a minute though. Um, because we sometimes misunderstand it or we confuse it. So I had a, my granddaughter's Lily. She's one of my granddaughters. I have three grandkids now, Boaz, 
is, is now on this planet. God is my strength. And Nora and Lily. Anyway, Lily had her third birthday party and we were all there. It was fun. And uh, I was a little concerned because she had a pinata. So they, they had this pinata, which is full of candy. And they blindfolded my, my granddaughter. And this girl's got energy and she's got a swing. And I'm like, well, I'm not in there. I'm not going to be in the room. And so they give her this stick, right? And she just starts swinging. <laughs> <laughs> trying to hit the pinata, right? And then what happens? And then the pinata breaks open and candy falls on the floor and the kids all run in and get it, right? Um, and you're like, that's pretty funny. I think a lot of people view prayer like uh, prayer is a magic stick and God is a cosmic pinata. And we just go, oh, I got the prayer stick now. So, God, you know, I'm going to swing it around and, and I'm going to hit God. I'm going to whack God and hope he drops some divine goodies in my lap. And, um, I, I, but I got to hit him hard. I got to, you know, I got to get, I got to do it right. I got to have this magic stuff. And that's, <laughs> that's wrong. God is not a cosmic pinata. You don't have to hit him. Why? Here's the truth. God is a loving father and we're his kids. He wants to give us good gifts. He loves us and will talk to us anytime about anything, but he won't. Give us, the, he, he wants us to be in a relationship where we're having conversation with him. We're reading his word. We're hearing from him and we're speaking to him and we're saying, God, this is my burden. And, and, and he wants to meet us in that, change us in that and move in those prayers. And so we need to come to him respectfully as our father, but we can come honestly and boldly to him. All right. Prayer is just conversation with God. We got to talk to God about this stuff that he's put on our heart. And I, and I want to give you, I think um, Nehemiah gives us a great pattern for how you and I can pray. You're like, well, how do I pray? Well, let's look at what Nehemiah does. The first thing he does is he praises God or adores him. And he recognizes the character of God. He says, oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He's praising God for his greatness and his awesomeness and his character. You keep your covenant of love. God's a loving God and he keeps his commitments. He's a promise keeper. You keep your covenant of love with those who love you and obey your commands. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. When you feel overwhelmed by a great need before you, the best place to start is looking to the God above you. When the need's before us, we need to look at God above us who wants to meet us in our place of need. And Nehemiah is overwhelmed by the ruins of Jerusalem, but he looks to God's greatness and he goes to God. And when he looks to God, his earthly problems, listen, 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 they take on their proper perspective. You and I magnify whatever we look to. And so if I look at my problem, look at my problem, it can take the whole scope of my vision. But when I see my problem and I go, God, I see you and this is who you are. It doesn't get rid of this problem, but it puts it in perspective. The God of all creation who can move and, 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 and has power over every living thing can surely take care of this thing. So maybe you're overwhelmed like Nehemiah was by the ruins you see around you in your own life. Or maybe it's someone close. And you feel like you want to weep and your heart is broken. The place to start is always prayer. The next thing Nehemiah does is he confesses. So look at what this, he confesses his sins and his people's sins. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. 
We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. This is an honest facing of his own guilt. Notice he doesn't act self-righteous. He doesn't say, Lord, I'm thinking of those terrible sinners back in Jerusalem. They're a bunch of lame. They're not following you. They're losers. Be gracious to them, even though you shouldn't because they're, they're bums. They're not doing your will. No, he says this. He says, I've contributed to this problem. I've been sinful. I haven't put you first, Lord. I haven't thought about how to help my sisters and brothers over there. I haven't thought about how to do your will. I haven't been a light for you. I've disobeyed your commands. And, and maybe even he could have gone back earlier and helped out, and he didn't. But he's confessing his own sin. Where are you? Where are you? Do you need to confess sin to God? And if you haven't confessed for a while, I suggest um, you're not paying attention to what God desires of you. God wants us to be clean, um, but, there, um, but we have to turn to him in prayer. And he doesn't create any blame or excuses. He just owns his junk. A few years ago, this is a hilarious story, um, a, <laughs> kind of. Their Boeing aircraft is, is in Seattle, and they stole a life raft out of a plane. And they thought, oh, we're going to go river rafting. And they took this life raft out of this plane. And they go on the river, and, and, and they... They blow it up and these guys all jump in and they're, they're river rafting and they think they're having a great time. And then like 15 minutes later, the Coast Guard helicopter appears above them. It's a search and rescue. And what they didn't realize is every one of those life rafts has an emergency locator on it, a GPS. And so they thought they were taking this air, uh, life raft out for a ride from their employer and, and kind of they were stealing it. And, um, and their sin found them out right? Because it had a locator on it. And I think sometimes we're like that with God, right? We try to hide from God. God knows exactly where we are. He knows what we've done. He, you know, I often liken it to this. I, uh, well, we have my granddaughter over. I'll tell you another granddaughter story. And there was, um, like all kids, she pooped her diaper, pooped her pants. And um, God doesn't want us to live walking around with a poopy diaper because we feel ashamed that we pooped. That's sin, okay? He wants to come to him and get it cleaned up. Time to go. Get your poopy diaper over there. There's sin in your life and mine, and God is faithful. Look at what 1 John 1, 9 says. That <clears throat> he says, come to me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I think that's on the screen. Um, yeah, maybe not. But 1 John 1, 9, look it up. If we confess, he's going to forgive us. So are you, is there anything you're hiding today that you need to get out? Sin is like cancer and it just kind of grows and eats at us. Is your heart right with God? It's better to confess and God wants us to be confessional people. And listen to this. We are either confessing sin or we are justifying sin. But we, have, we, we are not people who have no sin. We're either confessing it or justifying it. Confession is where renewal starts. Next thing is confidence in God's promises. So he praises God and he confesses his sin. And then he says, he, he, he reminds God of the promises he's made. And he, he asks him to keep those promises. Look at what he says. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter you among, uh, or if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. 
But if you return to me, which is repentance, it's turning back to God, and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Nehemiah knows his Bible and we should too. And uh, he is using the scriptures he knows to remind God of the promises he made to Israel in the days of Moses. And I could give you those, but I won't right now. But it's twofold. He said, first, if Israel disobeys, we know you said they'd be sent away. And that has already happened. We've been sent away. But you said, if we repent and turn from our evil and turn back to you, you would bring us home. Lord, remember that promise. You would restore us. You would renew us. You would rebuild us. And so, Lord, keep that promise because we're turning our hearts back to you. Someone has calculated there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Do you know the promises of God for you? For example, God has promised never to leave you or forsake you. Ever. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has promised to give you the power you need to do his will and to live the life he created you to live. Did you know that? God has promised to forgive our sins if we confess them, which I just read. There's so many beautiful promises in scripture that we need to call on God and be reminded of in ourselves. First John 5 says this, this is the confidence because we need to have confidence in God's promises. And pray with that confidence. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears you. Are you asking for something according to his will? He hears you. And he's already moving in that area, whether we see it or not. And the last thing is this. Nehemiah asks for what he wants. He makes a request. It's called supplication in the old form of the word. And he says, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah's request for success doesn't say make me rich. He's actually very well off where he is. Even though God wants to renew him, he's going to leave some things behind. But he was seeking the kind of success that comes from this. Listen accomplishing God's will on earth. God created you for a purpose and he wants you and I to be part of accomplishing his will with him. As Alex said last week, joining God in God's work on earth. And that's what he's praying for. Lord, I want to pray for success. And so let's look at the outcome of his prayer. Because through this prayer process, he has a holy discontent as God reveals his burden to him. He turns to God in prayer. He praises him. He confesses. He has confidence in God and he asks for what he wants what he wants to see happen. And then there's an outcome here. And look at this. Nehemiah prayed for four months. When's the last time you and I prayed and planned for four months about what God might want? And so the king, he goes to the king and the king says, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. He's praying even as he's talking to the king. See this? This is interwoven throughout his whole life. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. It's a genius statement. I can't get into all of it, but look at that. Rebuild it. He says the city where my fathers are buried. One of the things that the Persians um, valued was honoring the dead. So he actually crafts his statement in such a way where um, the king would be bias toward his request. But it's been said of this, prayer is not getting 
uh, man's will done in heaven. It's but getting God's will done on earth. That's what we're praying for. And Nehemiah prays that. However, for God's will to be done on earth, he needs to people available for him to use. And while Nehemiah was praying, right, his burden for Jerusalem became greater. His vision of what needed to be done became clearer. And he didn't just pray, God, send someone else. Listen to this. He said, God, here am I, send me. And he volunteers to go and be a part of the answer to the prayer he's praying to God. He says, Lord, use me, send me. And Nehemiah's example is so relevant for us today, isn't it? God's going to renew Nehemiah's life and the city of Jerusalem so they can be a light for him. But it all starts right here. Prayer is the fuel for God's renewal. So let me ask you a couple of questions as we close. What would your life look like if you let God break your heart with the things that break his heart? Where's God's heart broken between what is and what could be in your life? Between what is and what could be in your relationships or family? Between what is and what could be in our community, in our church, in our world? And what might God do if you and I began to pray fervently about the things that really matter to him? Will you commit to prayer with me? I'm committing to pray every day for these things over the next month. And what if God used you to be an answer to part of that prayer? That's the pattern of Nehemiah. And that's my challenge for us. God is on the move. He's brought us a brand new lead pastor. And we're starting a whole new chapter of ministry together. It's so awesome. And he's opened a door for some possibilities for us, for maybe a more permanent home. And we're praying about that because we don't want to get ahead of God. But there's new chapters of ministry and the doors opening are before us. And he's calling us his church to be a light in Livonia and Detroit area and in the world. And just like Jerusalem, there's a lot of people around us, aren't there, whose lives are in ruin. And God wants us to care and to pray and to act, to share his love with our words and our actions. Would you do that? So I have a little application here, and I want you to be thinking about these things. I want to encourage you this week. What's your holy discontent in your life and in our world? And will you take time to confess and pray this week about your own life? And for those who are in ruins around you, and will you be willing to say yes to God to be an answer to his prayer, however he might call you? Will you tell him that and tell someone else? Let's pray. And if you're uh, in a place where you're ready to receive Christ into your life and start a new life with him on mission, I want to encourage you to pray with me. Lord, uh, we pray first of all that... um, Uh, You would work in our lives, Lord. We see our world and we see our lives and we know we're languishing in many ways. I just confess that. And we want a fresh move of your spirit, a fresh outpouring of your love. We we see our world is broken and we don't know what to do. And so we do nothing, Lord. And I just confess we see our world broken and we need to pray, Lord. We pray for your renewal in our lives and we confess our own sin. And Lord, that we've broken your commands that you haven't been first. And Lord, um, we pray that you would move in our lives and you bring renewal and refreshing. And Lord, we pray that as you show us how you want us to go forth with you and be an answer to that prayer and help make a difference in the world, that we would have the courage to say yes and we would go with you and we would do the thing that's right in front of us that we know you want us to do. And Lord, we pray that you would unleash your renewal and your flourishing. In Life Church, 
and in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.